In American society, money is a taboo topic. We're taught at a young age it's improper to talk about it, but we're also bombarded with messages about the power and importance of money in our everyday lives. And by not talking about it, we miss out on the skills and lessons we need to effectively understand and financially plan. That changes today. Welcome to Money Tales. Hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder, Money Tales brings more than 35 years of combined professional experience in personal finance to demystify money and demonstrate what it's like to speak openly about personal financial matters. Join us each episode as they interview modern-day movers and shakers about how money decisions intertwine with their daily lives in order to give you better insight into productive financial conversations. Subscribe today and register for our blog, Fathom, at aspirient.com slash podcasts to increase your money mojo. And now, here's Cammie and Sandy. Hi, this is Cammie. Marit Bakken is our guest this week on Money Tales. Mara grew up in Norway, where her grandparents had a little farm. For them, money was bartering arrangements with neighbors. As Mara says, they'd pay half a pig to have someone slay their field for a month. Money was tight, and the family had to work really hard. When she was 12 years old, her grandfather died. Shortly afterwards, Mara walked in a room and saw her mother and grandmother sitting on the floor, counting money and crying. They had discovered a hidden stash of cash. The tears were filled with both anger because that money could have made a difference to the family sooner and joy because the extra money could help. Marit describes this as a pivotal moment, seeing two generations of women crying on the floor because the male head of the family had held this from them, set Marit on a path of agency and autonomy toward her own financial future. Today, Marit is the co-founder and relationship expert at 360 Relationships a modern therapy practice where they help people thrive in relationship. Mart helps her clients discover better ways to communicate and have meaningful relationships. Clients also seek Mark's expertise when the relationship ends. Hi, this is Sandy. Here are three key Money Tales conversation topics Mart hits on in this conversation. First, how there doesn't have to be so much pain and secrecy around money. Talking about money helps prevent these feelings. Second, in couples, it's not uncommon for one partner to have or earn more than the other. This fiscal inequality can create power dynamics, which need to be navigated. And third, how couples should create a joint vision of their life together. This vision can help organize them around money. Really think through how you want to live and how that impacts your personal finances. We hope you share this episode with a friend. And please subscribe to Money Tales on your favorite podcast platform. Now, on to our conversation with Marit Bakken. Hey, Money Tales listeners. We're excited about our conversation today with our guest. Hi, Sandy. Hello, Cami. I'm so excited. I want to share with you and our listeners that one of the clients that I've been working with for over 20 years is about to get married for the first time. Oh, that's so exciting. They're recently engaged, and we've been having some really great conversations. There's a tricky planning consideration, though. The client lives in one state, her fiance lives in another state, and they have plans to move to a third state 
<laughs> wow. <laughs> and there is a blended family situation going on here. So they definitely want to put a premarital agreement in place. We had to have some conversations about, well, geez, what state do you put the premarital agreement in? <laughs> because the wedding will take place in the state she lives in. It was really interesting to do a little bit of research. And it looks like even though there's some conflicting advice given along the way, it looks like the best place for this particular prenup will be in the state that they are going to reside in. And so we're in the process of connecting each of the parties with family law attorneys in that state. And I think both of these individuals are committed to the premarital agreement process. They see it as a very positive one. And we've had some very productive money conversations to help get them ready in understanding what's involved with the process and how it works. You know, Sandy, as you were talking and sharing that story, I'm thinking, what a nice way of warming up the conversation around prenups when it was more talking about where do we do it? And so you could almost, I could see it being a warm up and then a really nice segue into setting them up. Yeah, it was fun. And it's been a great start of the conversation and many more conversations to come. But like I said, they're both, I think, very open and excited about forming a life together. And I think this process will help them make some really good decisions that makes each of them feel good about how they're going to work the money aspects and some other aspects of their lifestyle going forward. Excellent. Well, maybe our guest today will have some thoughts on partners and having many conversations. I'd like to welcome our guest today, Marit Bakken. Welcome to Money Tales. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Hello, Marit. Hi. Would you start us off by introducing yourself and sharing two to three pivotal moments that really impacted you, making the person you are today? As I'm talking to you, I'm sitting in Norway, which is where I grew up till my early 20s when I moved to the United States to go to school. So that was one pivotal moment for sure when I moved, you know, from a big safety net that the social democratic enclave of uh, Scandinavia provides to United States. So very, very different. And other pivotal moments have been, I guess, when, as it relates to money, I'm going to take it back to that because this is money tales. <laughs> <laughs> so when I was 12, my grandfather died. And I'm from a very blue-collar family when I grew up, you know, in Norway. My grandparents had a little farm that they did bartered with neighbors and to make it right. So, hey, you want half a pig if you come and slay my field, you know, for a month, that sort of stuff. And my dad was a bus driver and my mom worked in a kiosk and they all worked hard. That's all I remember when I was young. They really worked really hard. So when my grandfather died, when I was 12, that first of all, it took a big piece of their economics away because he obviously worked hard and was the leader of this farm. But also what happened is that my mom and grandmother found a bunch of money he had hidden. Where was it hidden? I don't know, actually, but they were sitting on the floor and I came in and I guess I wasn't supposed to be there, but I opened the door and there they were sitting on the floor counting money, literally counting bills and crying. And I was like, wow, what's going on here? 
And I was just told that, you know, your grandfather had hidden his money. We didn't know about it. And on one hand, they were like angry because this could have made such a difference. They didn't know that this, I guess, safety net was there. It was probably how he looked at it. While there was always like not enough money to do much of anything. So they were pretty upset about that. And on the other hand, they were like happy that now they had a little bit extra, right? Probably wasn't a lot of money, but it made a super big impact on me. Like, wow, especially as women, there are two women, two generations ahead of me are sitting on the floor crying because the male in the family had the leader of the family, I guess, had held this from them. So for me, I was like, wow, I'm not going to sit on the floor and cry over someone else having control over my money, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I don't know, you know, when I was 12, I was really sad because my grandfather had died and I was very close to him. But thinking about it in the aftermath, when you guys brought that up, yes, that made an impression that money is very, very important. No one ever talked about money, but you could just always sense it, right? That we don't have enough and certain things we can't do. I was left with my grandparents, so my mom and dad could work more till I was of school age. And so they really, they really didn't have a lot. Didn't, Marit, I'm curious, have you ever had a conversation with your mom about what you saw, you know, walking in and them discovering this money and how that's left an impression on you? Mm -hmm. Not really. I kind of have tried to kind of bring up how money was, and she's very unwilling to talk about money. She and my dad really, they argued about money. They didn't talk about money. And for me to ask anything about money, that was totally out of my I was not allowed to ask about that. I was the kid. Martin, I'm so curious about this because I had a similar experience growing up in that my parents argued about money a lot. And the takeaway I had was to be financially independent, meaning to make my own money and not be dependent upon someone else because I didn't want to have those arguments. And I'm curious, in your experience, watching your mother and your grandmother count this money and having parents who are arguing about money, not really talking about it with you. You said these made a lasting impression. What did you do with that impression? How did it impact decisions you made as you went forward in life from a young girl? Yeah, I think, well, looking back sort of how I lived my life, you mentioned prenups and so on in the beginning, right? Having clear understandings about how you operate in a family system around money, having open conversations about them. I mean, these are things I've learned over time, right? Because that certainly wasn't the model that was taught to me. But it didn't make sense to me that there had to be so much pain around money. It just seemed like that was my takeaway from my it was secrecy. And it was pain, those two things. And I didn't want to have that. I didn't see any reason for it. So I think that's been my takeaway. Tell us about the decision to move to the United States, leaving this safety net. I appreciated using that word because I feel it. And moving to the United States, a whole different world. Yeah, I think it, it's something that dawned on me 
maybe not exactly then, but more as I decided to keep staying in the United States, that this is really the country where you you have to make it on your own. If you don't have money, if you can't take care of yourself, there is really no one else that's going to help you or a system for that. I know some having political discussions with my friends and acquaintances about that, and they see it differently having grown up there. They think we have a pretty good enough system. And remember, I've lived now way more of my life in the United States than I did in Norway. But, you know, I was always sort of conscious about that, that if something bad happens here, I can always go back to Norway. Let's say my health fails or something like that. I always have something to fall back on. So you still had some sort of safety net. Yeah, not giving up my Norwegian passport. I had to for a while, but then we got double citizenship and I actually just got it back again. So that feels pretty fun. That's good. So it sounds like when you came to the United States, you weren't necessarily planning to stay here. You're just coming here for an educational opportunity. What was that like from a money learning perspective? Because you were moving from one society to another. And I imagine that the money aspects were quite different between the two. Yeah, I think, I don't know, what stayed with me was this work ethic. My family always worked so hard, and that's what I learned. That's just what you do from morning to night. So I worked hard in the United States, too. I got internship, jobs, whatever, pretty quickly, right? And I started a company while I was in college. Tell us more about that. Yeah, I was on the board of directors of a company in Norway, I had a little company or two back then. And it was a great way to just get to know sort of the business community and broader community where I lived to start something. And so me and another actually classmate from also Norwegian, it's like, hey, why don't we do this thing? <laughs> and then we get to, whether we make money or not, at least we get to know people and be out there in the world. So that was the intention of that, to just become active and create a life for ourselves here because we didn't really have a network. So it's more about that than anything else. So it was more about creating relationships than making money? Yeah, kind of. For me, at least it was. Yeah. Hey, making money was important too. It wasn't that, but it was, we didn't know anybody. We had to do that. It's a great way to meet people. So Mari, as you look back on your adulthood, how would you describe your ability to meet those objectives that you formed when you were 12 years old, seeing your grandmother and your mom counting the money? Yeah, that independence, having agency and autonomy around money. Yeah, I think I've met those objectives and also tried to collaborate as much as you can. And I think there's most people have fears around money too. There's opportunity and there's there's also a lot of constraints, whether you have little or a lot, right? So you have to kind of, what I wanted to do was, was have that active discussion with my family about money and to create a vision for that. What is important to us? Is it important to buy a house? expensive cars, go on vacation, kids to private school. What is important? I think those are incredibly important conversations to have and to have a voice in that. My mom and grandmother certainly didn't seem like they had 
I've learned later that maybe they had more than my impression were at that point, but it was very clear to me as a as a woman that was going to be important. As you talk about that, you sound so confident and thoughtful. And I'm curious if you felt that way along your journey so far. Not always, no. If that's what's coming through, that's, I guess, where I find myself now. I find that I feel much more safe and settled in my life. But there were times I was really scared. Oh, my God, is this going to be enough? Am I making the right choices? Especially because I haven't really chosen careers. That's been the classic. Because I moved here before all that happened, sort of the tech and the IPO and the whole, all of that world, right, has never been my world. So it's been more in the in the shoes of my generations ahead of me that were like nose to the grindstone. So there's been times I've been like, am I going to be able to take care of my kids and so on and so forth. But it's been more fear-driven, just existential than it has been what's actually happened. Which means not only talking with your family, but having help around you that can guide and all of that. Using financial advisors and planners and things like that has been has been helpful. And talking about money, I think I, I keep coming back to that because certainly in what I do professionally. Will you tell us more about what you do now? Yeah, sure. So I kind of do... One core thing, which is couples therapy, but it's more expensive than that. I I help people in, in crisis in their relationship that might be heading towards divorce and are on the brink and so on and so forth. And I also help people who have trouble in their relationships when they might have a business together, right, as co-founders, and they can't figure out how to come to agreements and money certainly comes into the picture there, right? So financial counseling in that realm for the couples who are in love relationship with each other and married or otherwise committed, it's really about figuring out how they can continue to live their life together and talk about things they haven't been able to talk about in a productive way. And so money conversations must be part of that work too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the top two reasons for divorce, you know, obviously infidelity, but also arguments about money. That's sort of a close second there. So that is important to talk about. And a lot of my clients are high income earners. Maybe they have a lot of assets, but that doesn't necessarily make it easier because with high income and high assets also comes high spending. Might make it harder, actually. Yeah, yeah. And what often happens in the couple that one may make a lot of money more so than the other or come in with a lot of the money. And it really makes for interesting and difficult or at least challenging power dynamics within the couple. Yeah. So Marit, say more about that. And I'm curious to know what advice you have from speaking professionally with couples about money for our listeners so that they can take some ideas away from this conversation that they can apply to their lives. Ideally, pre-marriage or when people get serious about being together, whether they're getting married or, or just want to 
cohabitate and have some agreements around that, that they really talk about their attitudes around money, right? That it's, do they have more of a collaborative approach? Like it's us, or do they more have like, it's you and me, and we're living this life together, but money is very separate. So talking about that and talking about what I talked about a little bit earlier, the financial priorities, what's important to us? Is it important to have a lifestyle of freedom or do we want to have kids? And is a big house important? Second homes, you know, third homes, all of this. What? How do we want to live? Because however you want to live, that costs money in general. And they need to find a place where they have a vision together. I love that. It's so important. Yeah, that makes the relationship so much better too. So it's sort of almost a vision first and then packaging. All right, what does this mean for how we organize ourselves around money? So this pre-marriage financial counseling, and then if they're going to get married, for sure, getting a prenup. It's just a responsible thing to do. Even if they have equivalent assets or maybe they don't have any money, do you think a prenup is important? I think so. For When you talk to family law attorneys, they certainly think that's important because you never know. If you have a clear roadmap, then the solution can be easier. And why is that important? Well, it's particularly important if you have kids because you need to have a relationship after your divorce forever. And that is one of the big drivers for me to help people that... It's not necessarily to help the two that have now decided they're going to get a divorce, but to really set it up for success as a family with their kids as they move on in life. I really like the premarital agreement process because it does accelerate some important conversations that might happen later in the marriage. And if you have them in advance, everybody already knows the expectations. You've already determined the roadmap. And I think it helps avoid some of those stresses that can come later on if those decisions aren't made already. For sure. And even more importantly, I think it can make them excited about what's possible because the the vision is obviously to stay together. That's why you're getting married. And like this can be not just like in case we get divorced in the future, but that they really think through how they want to live and what consequences that has for finances and so on and so forth. Mara, once you have helped your clients establish initial money conversations, how do you encourage them to continue having these conversations in their relationship? Well, a lot of my clients, I've worked with them for a long time because that's one of the reasons they want to keep the conversation alive, keep the relationship going, not just to work through when it's difficult, but to how can this be even better? People think about couple therapy as like, oh my God, we can't communicate, we're in a crisis. And by the way, most people can communicate just fine. That's not the problem, right? The problem is more that it's emotionally stuck. So once we can get that sort of emotionally stuck and they feel safe to really open things up and they have a different platform of feeling good about where they are and their future, then how can it get even better? So people get pretty excited about that, that work. 
and money just keeps coming up because people make more or less or have some unexpected life situations with the older generation or their own kids or themselves that changes everything for better or worse, richer and poorer, as they say. So it can really be a bonding experience and something that glues them together emotionally that they can meet these challenges by having these open conversations and ongoing conversations. Sounds powerful, Mart. I'm wondering, how did you get interested into this particular line of work? I went through my own divorce and that was jarring on all levels. And we had two children and there wasn't the kind of help I thought was needed at the time, or at least we couldn't find it. So we went through the kind of classical one attorney each and hammered through it. And I still believe and there's so many, many good and there's high value. You kind of have to have attorneys involved. That's great. But then you have to have conversations, right? Because that becomes very, can become very rigid and confrontational. And you're sort of on the opposite side of the problem instead of going, hey, we have a problem jointly here that we need to solve. How do we do that? So I wanted to help with that. And I wanted to help with the whole kid aspect around us, right? How can you make this as good as possible for the kids? How old were your children when you got divorced? They were six and 10. So they were fairly young. But I don't think it matters what age they are, because I've seen people get divorced. Now we're talking about pre-divorces and so on, you know, like a lot of people in their 50s and 60s are getting divorced now. They kind of waited till the kids were sort of established and stuff. And then there's they don't have too much in common anymore. And the kids of them, you're they're not kids anymore, but their offsprings are fairly devastated by this process sometimes. So it doesn't matter. It's always a big life change when your parents are making this decision. You had your own experience. You wish it was different. So you pivoted and became a couples therapist. And I'm wondering, what impact did pursuing this vocation have on your personal life and on your former marriage and with your children? I don't think much, <laughs> you know? I mean, it's just something, it's like a field I've always been interested. It wasn't really that, like I was a welder before and suddenly I'm a co-parenting and a counselor and mediator. I actually had a communications company for 10 years prior to that and always sort of been in business in my life and with by necessity I had to communicate and, and collaborate and so on and so forth. And actually, when I was in Norway talking about big turning points in life, I really wanted to study psychology when I was 18. And it was only one school I wanted to go to, which was in Copenhagen, Denmark. And I didn't get in, which thank God I didn't. I was so not mentally prepared for that. You know, it's really a career that is best had having later in life, I think, because having some lived, having some lived experiences really you can understand more of what people have gone through. Not that you have to go through everything, whatever one has gone through, because you can't. But I think you can have stronger empathy, have be more self-assured, 
being calm, being a steady force for people in that. Seasoning matters. I think so. Yeah. I can appreciate that. Mara, what's next for you? What's next for me, I think, is to work a little bit less. I want to make sure that my own kids are launched. They're now in their early 20s. And just continue with my financial plan and what's important to me. But as I get older, what's important to me, and thank God I can allow that to be important for me, is time. That I spend time on what really resonates with my heart. And that is certainly some client work, but it's also a lot of other things. So that's important. All right. Do you think about money much these days? Yeah, I do. I feel fairly calm around it, which is good. And I think that's the gift of sort of having a plan, being able to to know that I can appreciate all the things I have that's going to make it easier if I bump into it, which we all do. We've seen the stock market as of late and uh, how the world is spinning a little crazy right now. So the general anxiety for all of us goes up, but we're all in the same boat. And I think take some comfort in that in some weird way is important and helping each other, right? I think for me, having strong relationships I count on, maybe I shouldn't, but I kind of do. If I get in any problems that family and friends will step in as I will for them. So more of a community feeling around it and not having to go in all on your own. Marit, what's your next money conversation going to be and who's it going to be with? I think it's going to be with my kids. Because they haven't gotten to this feeling of just like, okay, you know, it's probably going to be okay. All is well. <laughs> it's tougher to get established now. And they're in fields where they're not hunting big money, but more life experiences. But it also needs to be grounded in some reality around money. So I think it's important to have those conversations with your children at any age. What I just read that if you give you know, it was this experiment they gave, I think it was like 10, 11 year olds, $100 and asked them, what are you going to do with this money? And nine out of 10 said, oh, they were going to go and buy something. Nine out of 10. And there was no saving. There were no, if you invested now, what will you have? That, <laughs> you know? So I think having conversations like that is important to have with kids. A lot of parents don't. My parents certainly didn't, as we have touched on today. But normalizing money conversations with your children is so important. We agree. That's really an important conversation to have and keep having. And I appreciate you sharing where they are in their young professional careers. And I like this idea that they're not hunting big money, but they are hunting life experiences. But money is part of that and such an important conversation to have. Marit, thank you again for joining us on Money Tales and calling in from Norway. It's your evening, our morning. We really appreciate you spending this time with us. Thank you, Marit. Yeah, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Money Tales podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with someone you think would benefit from listening and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. Your ratings and reviews help more people find our podcast. If you're inspired to gain clarity and peace of mind about financial matters, 
don't hesitate to reach out to our team at Asperient. Go to asperient.com forward slash start a dialogue. Or you can email Sandy and me at podcast at See you next time.